living best-selling author personal trainer and host of give me strength where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same welcome to give me strength my guest this week is Dr. Emma Ross, who I had the pleasure of awarding with a Sunday Times Sportswoman of the Year Awards at the end of last year. Emma is the co-founder of The Well HQ and is previous head of physiology at the English Institute of Sport. She describes herself as a science communicator at heart, having spent the first part of her career teaching physiology to sports science, physiotherapy, and medical students. As a huge advocate for helping women achieve excellence in professional sport, She's published over 30 peer-reviewed scientific publications and has been awarded a fellowship of the British Association of Sport and Exercise Science. In summary, Dr. Emma Ross utilizes 20 years of experience both in teaching and researching human physiology and a decade working in high-performance sports supporting some of the world's best athletes to help understand how female-specific factors can present powers and pitfalls for achieving high performance whether that be in work, in sport, and in life. Emma, I'm so excited to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Alice. My pleasure. So obviously, we were first introduced at the end of last year, and you won your award um, for all of the work you've done in particularly um, championing women in sport, which is just brilliant. And we're obviously going to get into that today. Um, but I think that obviously your career has been so incredibly varied and also very successful. But I'd love to hear what really led you to where you are today. What were the kind of um, stepping stones that brought you to to doing what you now do? It's a good question because I think if you had asked me 10 years ago, where would you be today? I wouldn't have been able to describe this situation. Um, but actually, every step of my career has, I think, been leading me to this place. And I, I think what I've done over my career, I started off as an academic. So I did a PhD and then I went into teaching and researching, which I loved. Um, but I kind of was continually asking questions about like, how is this research relevant? Like, what does it mean to people's lives? Because often in research, you can get caught up in asking really interesting questions and forget that they have to actually eventually end up, you know, impacting how people behave or, you know, in sport exercise science, how people work out or train or recover. So I was always really interested in that. And then I kind of got to pursue that a bit more by going and working in elite sport because I actually got to translate the science from the research mm. and ensure that it was in the hands of people who were supporting and coaching these elite athletes who were going to Olympic and Paralympic Games and wanted to win medals. And that was amazing and, and a really challenging but really exciting environment to work in and allowed me to look at how science is translated to, to the end user, whether that's an elite athlete or in fact anyone trying to be healthy and fit. And in my time uh, working in Olympic and Paralympic sport, it was a it was an era of marginal gains. So we were very focused on um, what are the small things we can do that will improve performance or improve health. Um, and if we add all those small things up, we actually get this this kind of big step change in this person's performance, which will probably make them, you know, the best in the world. So I was, we were looking for all of these things, you know, there's a classic like rounder wheels or, 
you know, taking specific duvets to an Olympic Games to make sure sleep was brilliant. And those were all amazing. But I just started to have a niggle inside me that there were these huge gains that we were missing because we weren't addressing the fact that our female athletes in this Olympic and Paralympic system had a physiology that was different from their male peers. And we weren't really talking about it. So therefore, we weren't really understanding it. And we weren't really sort of treating these female athletes in honor of their physiology and their psychology and their anatomy. And then the more I dug, the more I found, yes, we were, we were ignoring that part really in the elite sporting system. So I spent five years trying to change that and saying, these aren't marginal gains. These are huge opportunities to understand the athlete in front of you better. But we have to understand female physiology to do that. And so that really was a sort of um, a big sharp turn in my career in terms of this feels like what, you know, my purpose, you know, when you, you know, you're doing jobs that you love, but actually something, there's a sweet spot somewhere. And this was yeah. it for me. This was it for mm. me. So, um, so that's what I pursued. And, and then uh, just uh, in Tokyo, uh, just before Tokyo, well, it was meant to be before Tokyo, but the Olympics got moved um, in 2020, but I left the uh, Institute of Sport in 2020 to just broaden the reach of this work in, try- in terms of making sure women's bodies weren't holding them back from being the best they wanted to be, whether that was in high performance sport or whether that was schoolgirls trying to get through puberty and enjoy moving. I kind of wanted to broaden the reach of that work. And so I co-founded The Well with two other amazing women's health specialists. And here we are. I mean, it's amazing work that you're doing. And even just that last sentence that you said, you know, giving women that equal opportunity to have just as much, you know, kind of um, enjoyment, success in sport as men um, is huge. And like, you know, even you referencing the fact that, you know, they were focusing on the minutiae of what duvet to take. And yet there are these gaping holes in research that aren't showing how women can really harness a lot of the stuff that we have going on to work for us rather than just kind of glossing over a lot of this stuff and just assuming that we can knuckle down and get on with it, which I think women have done for so long. Um, Now, look, it's really interesting. I actually, before I jumped on this uh, Zoom, I was reading a couple of interviews that you've done in the past. And there was one where um, you said that when you first started working with coaches, they didn't even discuss periods. Um, And it was like an incredibly taboo subject. And you talked about breaking it down to educate them on the female fundamentals. And I thought that was a really nice way to put it. And I wondered if maybe you could break down for you what you see as the female fundamentals within training, but, you know, also within life. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I I think it's really important for us to remember that that these topics, lots of things to do with women's health and women's bodies, they have had an, an element of taboo, stigma, sometimes shame, embarrassment around them. And um, it was kind of really easy for me to run into sports and say, come on, everyone, we should be talking about menstrual cycles and periods and bras and pelvic health. Uh, and everyone kind of realized we should, but no one knew how to because we, ne- you know, parents were, you know, these dads weren't speaking to their daughters or their wives about this stuff. So why would they come in and speak to their 17 year old female athlete? So, yes, that that environment of, you know, this stuff is has always been silent or secret or dismissed. Mm. In mm-hmm. sport, but also in life, was really important in that sort of journey. But in terms of the female fundamentals, I think it was looking at, at female physiology and, and saying, what happens either exclusively in a body that has a female reproductive system, or what happens differently in women's bodies um, 
than they do than it does in men's. And then let's take those and say these are the fundamental things we need to understand about this person in front of me if I want to train her or or treat her or support her to be healthy and happy and fit. And so those things are the menstrual cycle. We have such a you know brilliant. Uh, interesting physiology and and that's different from how the physiology works in a man in terms of our hormonal fluctuation across you know roughly 28 days and it's fundamental because this isn't just a reproductive cycle this is a cycle of hormones that yes allows us to reproduce and and um, get pregnant and sustain pregnancies and have babies but this is a hormonal system which also has influences across our whole body from our bones our muscles our gut our blood vessels our brains and so if you ignore that you ignore hormones that affect the whole of us not just yeah. you know whether we have a period or not so the menstrual cycle is really fundamental for me understanding it knowing and and actually getting women the females themselves to understand it as well because i think people assume we get taught this stuff i know that when i work with coaches they said, look, as a guy, I, I get it. I don't really know enough. No one's taught me and I don't have a female body. So, you know, go figure. I don't know it and I'm here to learn. But what the guys didn't sort of get was they're like, uh, but why do my female athletes not know this? And I, Because we don't get taught a lot of this stuff. Yes, we get taught the mechanics of it when we're at school. We get taught about that we will have periods. We get taught about how we can get pregnant so don't get pregnant. We get taught about the mechanics of the ovaries releasing an egg and you get the diagrams of where it coming down the fallopian tube and all of that. But you don't really get taught about this amazing rhythm of hormones that can affect you, affect your experience of, of your life and the world. Yeah. So the menstrual cycle is fundamental to me. But there are other mm-hmm. bits as well. And um, it was understanding that... You know, as as prepubescent girls, we have a body that's you know not like our our grown up woman's body, and then suddenly we go through puberty and lots mm-hmm. of things happen. But oh gosh, now we've just grown breasts, and no one gives us any idea about what to do with those. And when we move, they will move, and it sounds you know really obvious, but we don't get taught about breast support and particularly breast support in sport. And we know that it's a huge barrier for some women to exercising. And again, people go really. Yes, we know that um, women with larger breasts, D-cup or above, so we're talking D-cup, which is not huge, and above. Which is th- me. <laughs> yes, and it's me. I do 37% yeah. less exercise than wow. women with smaller breasts. And and they uh, put that down to their breasts, not being able to manage the movement, the pain, the embarrassment. So, wow. so yeah, breast support was something we were ignoring. You know, we paid huge amounts of money to make aerodynamic skin suits, but what women were wearing underneath in terms of supporting their breasts... And then understanding how that could impact, you know, like if you've got breasts that are moving because they're not well supported, it shortens your stride length. It makes your running, the the position your body is in when it's running, less economical, which means it uses more energy for doing the same work. Um, It makes exercise feel harder if you have breast movement. So suddenly this isn't just about, you know, like, have you got a nice bra? Does it fit? It's like, this is a performance impacting thing. So then we have menstrual cycle and periods and we have breast health. And then we gathered some data that said about 40% of athletes, so these are not women who have gone on to have babies and uh, are postnatal, but of, of fit young athletes are suffering urinary stress incontinence and yeah. a host of other issues related to pelvic floor dysfunction. This was something that no one was talking about. I mean, if you think it was embarrassing to talk about periods, it is completely to be to talk about wetting yourself you know, um, having trouble putting a tampon in or painful sex, all the things that might be related to um, the problems associated with having dysfunctional pelvic floor. 
so again, that was to me a fundamental because we know that the pelvic floor is, you know, just integral part of our core. Core training is, you know, everywhere, but we were yeah. ignoring, the, uh, ignoring the pelvic floor. Everyone wants abs, but they don't forget, they don't understand, sorry, that the pelvic floor makes up such a huge part of that, you know, mechanic. And, and yeah, it's, it's exactly. funny, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we, so we had, so we said we have menstrual cycles and periods, breast support, pelvic health. And then we started just picking up other really fundamental things that we weren't perhaps addressing that happen differently in a girl's body and women's body. So, so like nutrition, mm. we know that lots of the nutritional research is done on male bodies and so it doesn't mm-hmm. take into account female physiology. So we wanted to understand that a bit more. We know that some approaches, for example, fasted training, so like not fueling before you train, was advocated in sports science as a really brilliant training tool um, over the last decade. But we started to understand that that was mainly beneficial in men's bodies but was absolutely not beneficial for women's bodies. Yeah. So how are how our bodies as females kind of respond to what we're eating and the fuel we put in is so different from how it how it uh, applies in men. And the idea that actually if we don't fuel our bodies well enough, that really disrupt disrupts our hormonal environment in our body. It okay. can really interfere with our reproductive hormones because the body will always promote survival over reproduction. And so, you know, the first thing that all, you know, gets affected in a woman's body when we are highly stressed, we are underfueled, or we are over-exercising is, let's just shut down that bit, the reproductive yeah. system, because that's not a priority right now. But because we know the important influence of those hormones across yeah. the whole of our body and our health. So, so the nutritional part was really important. So you can see, Alice, we started just picking out these real cornerstones or this sort of, yeah. I, I, I thought... I always looked at it as the bricks that we lay down of, as the foundation of, and whether it's athlete or whether it's just someone who's pursuing health and fitness, if we no. can get these bits right and we can understand them, we can tick them off and say, yep, they're not holding us back. They're not, you know, we, we kind of get that. Then we can build on top of that whatever we want, whether it's fitness, happiness, health. Completely. And I think that, look, it's really interesting that um, you describe them as kind of cornerstones because they are, they make us who we are and they are such a huge part of our lives. And I think that to overlook them just seems so myopic in that, you know, I really think that, again, like I think I said this in my in my intro, but, to, you know, working with our bodies rather than sort of work, working against them just makes complete sense now to me. But it's so sad that for so long, we've sort of really, like I said, glossed over a lot of this stuff. And look, I think um, it was interesting before um, I jumped on, I was reading about the US women's football team. And it was a really like mainstream moment where they attributed part of their success to winning the World Cup, to tracking their cycles, and then um, adapting their training loads and their diet accordingly. And I think that it's so um, obvious to me that that would obviously be a work, you know, a, a winning formula because I understand now from doing it myself, how tracking my cycle, monitoring my training, adapting as I go through the month um, or roughly a month um, is really beneficial. But I wondered if you could explain maybe to those who might not necessarily be so familiar with that process, how that tracking process works and what modifications one might make across a cycle from the research that you've done and from working with athletes yourself. Yeah, so it's uh, it really, the US soccer team were some of the first people to start, you know, sort of talking about the fact that you could work with your cycle and not against it. And that's that's really brilliant because we're kind of all used to, you know, perhaps we don't do it, but we're all used to thinking, I got a really bad night's sleep, you know, uh, so I'm very tired today. I will get an early night tonight or I will, you know, do something different in my day to just, you know, sort of mitigate for the fact that I'm exhausted. But we don't tend to do that when we think about 
our cycle. We don't tend to yeah. say, well, this is how I feel. This is how my body's this is how my body's doing today. So this is what I might do. Because if you were to track your how you feel physically and emotionally across the whole of your menstrual cycle, and this is if you're having a natural menstrual cycle, so you're not using any hormonal contraception, um, you will definitely notice ebbs and flows of things like energy, uh, different moods, how you um, how different exercise feels, you know, high intensity exercise or low intensity exercise, how well you recover, how sore your muscles might be after a given workout at, at a different time of your cycle. And those things are fascinating because once you know about them, you are at choice whether you want to, you know, do lean into it and do something about them or work with them. So, for example, um, in the first half of our cycle, after our periods um, finished, we have this rise of estrogen, and estrogen is an amazing hormone, um, and it's you know a superpower for us as women. Well, both of our hormones of our cycle really are. But estrogen, if you imagine, estrogen arrives in our cycle just before we ovulate, so it's rising, rising, and peaking just before it ovulates. And in an evolutionary sense, uh, that's the time where we need to go and find a mate, have sex, because we need to procreate our species. So our, our hormones are sort of uh, inclining us to, to be behave like that. So estrogens okay. peaking, we want to go out and find a mate. We feel social. We feel more motivated to move. There's some great animal studies. And animal studies are useful because they take out this whole like psyche of a human, which is like, no, oh, I can't be bothered. Or the desire to move is quite instinctive in animals. And when they give animals estrogen who haven't had estrogen before, they move more, their behavior changes. So estrogen might make us more motivated to train yeah. or desire to move. It's It has knock-on effects to other hormones like serotonin, which is a good mood hormone. So we might feel happier. Um, we might feel more tolerant. There's research to say we are more inclined to take risks. So suddenly we've got an environment in this sort of first half of our cycle, which would really benefit you if you are trying to be active, be, yeah. you know, go out and do workouts. Um, and knowing that is really helpful because whether you choose to do anything about it or not, knowing that there are times of your cycle when the hormones are really on your side as someone who's busy, active, um, wants to get fit, is just really empowering. Um, and if you track your cycle, you will know what that looks and feels like for you because not everyone's cycle is the same. And some people will say to me, um, I'm fairly, you know, I, I don't have many peaks and troughs across my cycle. And some people will say, I have so much, uh, like, I feel so full of life when I ha in the first half of my cycle, but sometimes it tips over into overwhelm. So Mainly. those are two completely different, um, you know, plus sides of the coin. But understanding it and working with it and knowing that, you know, in the first half of the cycle, when estrogen is high, it can actually help our recovery. So research shows that you might not need as much recovery. Knowing all that, particularly as an elite athlete, like an elite footballer, suddenly starts to yeah. might say, well, look, I'm training in a squad, so I cannot do completely different training program than my teammate because otherwise we'd never train together. But what I can do is know that, you know, if I recover quicker from this training session in this week of my cycle, what what else could I do? Like, what, what could I put in there it gives me more training, therefore more adaptation, therefore better performance. Yeah. If I need more time to recover, perhaps in the second half of my cycle, what can I do there? Can I have different recovery interventions? Or yeah. in the second half of my cycle, we know that progesterone, for example, affects our blood sugar stability. So we often can get spikes and crashes of blood sugar if we don't eat regularly uh, and consistently across our day. So as an athlete, you might be thinking, you know what, in the second half, I need to be really vigilant about my nutrition and my fueling. 
So suddenly you start, if you build up a picture of what your cycle looks like, you can start to then work with it. You can identify Mm -hmm. days, well, actually, I get symptoms there. I'm really bloated and heavy legged. Okay, well, now what do I do about it? And for the US soccer team, they're lucky they have a nutritionist and a psychologist. They can go and say, right, what what can we do here? Yeah. And suddenly you start to build this picture of your life that you don't live it by your cycle. Your cycle doesn't sort of dictate what you're doing every day. I'm just mindful of how you can get the best out of yourself on any given day of the cycle. Yeah, definitely. And I think also it's just good to like be in tune with where you're at. And sometimes it's that I might have a really tough training session where I'm like, God, I feel really exhausted today. I did it yesterday. I was like, I feel really tired and just a bit like sluggish. And I checked my app that I tracked through and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, it gives you that little bit of feedback and you're like, okay, I know where I'm at now. And I think that it's great that that's being done in a professional setting. Football teams, I know that Chelsea were one of the first teams, I think, to adopt it here, Chelsea women's team. But I think that also this is so applicable to recreational exercises, to people who are training, you know, maybe a couple of times a week and they're trying to get the most from their training. And I think that it would be great to hear any other practical applications that you have. I think the diet one's actually really interesting. What you mentioned there about eating more regularly in the second half of your cycle, because I really noticed that actually for me is something that I find I get much hungrier and that actually if I just fuel myself at more regular intervals, I'm fine. And it's just not leaving those gaps between where you sort of feel those real dips in energy. But I was wondering if there was anything else for for someone who might who's not a professional athlete, but 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 really is trying to get the motion in their body across the month. Yes. So I think actually we have elite athletes can can do it with the support of all of their support team and their their sports mm. science stuff, and that's amazing. But actually, as an individual, we often have more autonomy than an elite athlete does in terms of what we do, how we train. So there's certainly you know that that first half of the cycle, our body is the the hormones allow our body to be more anabolic and anabolic means it's sort of designed it's geared up to build muscle build and repair muscle and so there's some research and you mentioned this before as we don't have a lot of research on female body and exercise and performance so when we say there's research we're still gathering information there's no hard and fast rules where we go this is it but the research we do have suggests that our body can you know perhaps uh, perform and recover and adapt to high intensity exercise or strength work really well in the first half of the cycle. And so some people might say, yeah, and I also feel brilliant. So I actually put a bit more of that type of work in the first half of my cycle. Um, And then in the second half of the cycle, our body kind of, the metabolism shifts a little bit and we preferentially use fat as as our fuel source during exercise. And we know that fats are a great fuel source for lower intensity, longer duration exercise. So again, you might be someone who recognizes, yeah, the hard efforts do feel a bit harder, like you've just described in the second yeah. half. So maybe I still do some because I have to do, have to do those workouts, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe I also put a bit more emphasis on the lower intensity, steady state work. Uh, maybe if I'm in my premenstrual phase and I've got period pains or I feel bloated or I feel lethargic, I can use exercise in a sort of restorative way. And so on those days, I choose not to punish myself with a high intensity session when actually what's going to happen if I don't do it nothing's going to happen apart from yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say to myself oh that felt awful or I could I didn't achieve it so I've let myself down what if I put in that space instead something that was restorative maybe it's a yoga session or pilates or maybe it's a, a brisk walk um a mindful walk you know what mm. what is it that you need on those days and mm. um because you're not an elite athlete and you, you haven't got a coach saying well you've got to do this session today you you are a choice to do that and we've we've done some 
research with a group of women where we've we've encouraged them to exercise in this way, kind of just listening to their body mm. and also trying to understand their cycle. And that we haven't, we're not at the um, at the finishing stages. We're just in the prelim stages of analysing the data. But what we're finding is they feel healthier and happier, and they're doing more exercise. So they're actually adhering to their exercise sort of um, showing up and doing exercise each day because they're listening to their body and they're not saying, well, I feel like this. I can't possibly do that HIIT workout. Oh, but I could do this and and then that makes me feel better. So it's amazing tuning into your body and actually listening to what it needs. I mean, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But, um, and and then giving it what it needs because exercise is always a good idea. Um, You know, we know that um, exercise can improve how cycle symptoms feel so if you're in that part of your cycle perhaps pre-menstrual or during a period even if you feel rubbish moving really helps but that yeah. doesn't mean to say you have to go and get a pb in the gym or a pb <laughs> yeah. on a park run it can mean just moving in some way is going to help yeah. you and it's kind of being compassionate with yourself because actually overall so far the evidence suggests that you're not going to do less this is not about being lazy and wrapping yourself up in a duvet this is about choosing what works for you on any given day and actually getting more out of your workouts because of that. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, and not overriding those signals, you know, like you said, encouraging. And also just, I think some of it is, and I find this when I speak to women, like give yourself permission to not always push at 100%. Like you don't have to. And I think it's also when we break it down, it's because so many women equate sticking to a regular exercise routine with with body composition and weight maintenance. And unfortunately, when those two things are paired together, that's when women override signals of fatigue, of um, you know menstrual cramps, of all this sort of stuff. And actually, when you start to explain, okay, those two things are actually very separate and very actually, the, the connection between the two is actually quite minimal then they start to give themselves that permission to be like, oh, okay, well, if, if you know, missing a workout isn't going to change my body composition, well, okay, maybe I might actually do some yoga. I might do something at a bit of lower intensity. And I think that's the cycle that I want to break with women is exercise is good for so many things, but try not to see it as the only thing that you try and do to maintain body composition because unfortunately that link will actually lead you to probably a worse place than one that if you just kind of break the connection and see exercise as, okay, this is really positive for helping me to feel better, for making me feel energized, but you know, all the positive things and, and all the physical benefits as well. Yeah. And I, and I, it's such an important point to make Alice, because if we continue to go down this line of exercise is punishment for eating or mm. exercise is what I have to do to look how I think I should look. Yeah, we are we are just stuck in a spiral, uh, and we don't unleash ourselves uh, and to enjoy exercise, like you say. Yeah, because exercise is so nourishing and fulfilling. And if you're someone who's going, what? Then I don't think you. You know, I think actually you're using you, it yeah. as a punishment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. Like, yeah, and it's so hard, isn't it? Because um, it's not just an internal thing; it's a societal thing. Absolutely. And so we w- we need to break that stuff before we can actually get down to the individual. Like, I'm lucky that obviously I work with some individual women, and we can have those conversations one to one. But you know, to do that on a giant scale is 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 quite challenging. And um, and actually, that kind of leads me onto my next point, which is really around overtraining and under recovering. We've talked a lot about the cycle and how you can work with it. 
But one of the things that has not only happened to both myself, but also so many people that I know is you take that exercise a little bit too far. And, and look, five years ago, I was that person. I trained to be lean and that was my goal. Um, and that led me to having irregular periods and losing my cycle. And, you know, whilst you referenced earlier, exercise is always a good idea. You can also have too much of a good thing. And I wondered how you navigate the, you know, the role of kind of having enough dosage to get the best from it, whilst also not doing too much that you then start to have physical implications as a result of that. Um, and really, I'm talking about sort of um, relative energy deficiency in sport. I don't, I don't know if you call it REDS or red S. I've heard people call it different things, but I wondered if you could maybe talk a bit about that. Yeah, it's so important to um, to highlight that there is this, you know, this sweet spot of of moving your body so that you're healthy, you're fit, you're happy. But like anything, you know, um, our strengths can be our weaknesses if we overdo them. And that's the same with exercise and the same with, you know, a focus on what we're eating. Because like I said before, the, the bod our, bo our female bodies are amazing. And they are really amazing because what they'll do when they are in in really stressful situations. And what I mean by stressful is, is you are expending loads of energy doing exercise and you are not putting that energy back in, in, in terms of your diet. Um, it says, well, we are, this is not a great situation Like we need energy to survive. And so if you're not putting energy in and yet we're continually expending loads of energy and we're not recovering and we're not fueling, then there is only one system I can get rid of that's not no one's going to notice like we're not going to keel over if i shut the brain off or the heart off or the lungs off or the blood vessels off we're going to know that and, and in so a few a minutes we're gone yeah. but i can shut the reproductive system down that will save me loads of energy i won't have to do all that hormonal signaling and having periods and doing all of that that's brilliant yeah. i'll shut that off and we can still go about our business brilliant and so what happens ahead of that is that periods might become irregular as the signaling to your reproductive system is like well oh, do we do we really need to do this? And they get yeah. irregular symptoms can actually get worse. Uh, cycles can get longer. And then eventually, if you continue to you know, do loads of exercise, not fuel and recover properly, then periods will disappear. And there's this myth in sport, which I saw a lot when I was working in, in elite sport, that that was almost a badge of honor for, for girls and women. They said, you know what? I'm training so hard and I'm reaching you know, race weight. My periods have gone. This must be a good sign. Wow. So this is the this is the background on which we were we are trying to educate people, which is no, in no in no way at all is not having a period healthy for you. Now no. I'm excluding everyone who's on the pill, using Mirena, pregnant, yeah. you know, any or have has underlying conditions like PCOS where you might not have periods. Like those are different. And postmenopausal, obviously. Exactly. Well. <laughs> yeah. So so like putting everyone aside who might need to speak to a GP and get help with things like that. Sure. Um with people who are having natural cycle, if it goes missing for three months or more, then that's a red flag that your body isn't coping yeah. with something. And if you're an exerciser, it might be that you are doing lots of exercise. You're putting huge energy demand on your body and you're not fueling it well enough. And I think the important thing to point out, and it's really hard because when you're in that moment and you're getting the rewards that you want in terms of whether you look in the mirror, how you feel, if yeah. you're an athlete, your performance times or whatever, then it's really hard to have this kind of um, long-term view. But Tomorrow might be, be fine and the next day might be fine. But in a matter of weeks, your body is going to start to unravel. And we yeah. now have, this is one area where we do have better research because it's so important. We know that it's not just about period stopping. The fact that these hormones that create our reproductive cycle get shut down 
means that we have a much higher risk of injury. So estrogen helps build up bone strength. And if you don't have estrogen, you are not building strong bones. Uh, and you need strong bones. You need a strong skeleton. And so I've worked with athletes who have osteoporosis in their late 20s because they went through prolonged periods of not having a menstrual cycle mm. and didn't do anything about it. Um, so it affects our bone strength. It affects our mental health. There's a 70% increased risk of depression in women who have relative energy deficiency. Uh, it affects our immune function. It affects... Um, our cardiovascular health, it affects cognition and decision-making. So suddenly you're someone who's training really hard, but actually your body is not adapting anymore. It's just surviving. And it long-term, that will have consequences for your long-term health. So we need to create a system. Like you said, Alice, it's not about the individual woman and, and educating her. We can do that, but we need to create a system which says it's not okay. Mm. It's not okay to place so much value on lightness or leanness yeah. above health. Yeah. So that we've yeah. created, this, created this situation where women will compromise their health to fulfill this sort of stereotypical ideal. Where did we, why did we get here? I know. And isn't it so devastating that like, that's what women are prepared to do. And, and I, and the, the thing is, I speak from this from a personal perspective as well. You know, it was almost just like, well, looking good means more to me. So I don't really care. Unfortunately. And I am devastated that that was the, the, the reality for myself and the reality for so many other women. And actually, I think you're completely right. I tend to see it more in people who are training at quite a high level, you know, whether they're runners or you tend to see it a lot in, in sort of endurance runners and stuff because that lightness really matters. In gymnastics, for example, in dance, you know, I trained as a dancer. I see it a lot there where being the smallest version of yourself is celebrated and therefore who cares if you lose your period because actually I'm tiny and I'm getting all these compliments and I'm doing well in my races. But I think that it's just, um, it's just a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that you, you, uh, articulated it perfectly by saying that at what point did that be prioritized over health, over our long-term mental and physical health? And I think the, the sports themselves, so we must remember that, you know, if you were a dancer or if you're a gymnast, even if you are going to a local club, that is governed by somebody. And mm. the education that the coaches get and the rules they have to work by are governed by somebody. And we have to hold the systems to account and say, yeah, I always use concussion as an example, because if, you know, if you're watching like, you know, your son playing rugby or your husband playing rugby and they get concussed and the referee says, you've been concussed, you need to go off. If you ask that person, whether they're grassroots or elite, uh, once they've kind of cleared their head and had the magic sponge on, do you want to go back on? They'd say, yeah, send me on. Like, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, there are rules to prevent that happening because we know that once you've had even a mild traumatic brain injury like concussion, you need a recovery period. Otherwise, you could do yourself significant damage. That's just the rules of the game. And everyone no. goes, actually, yeah, I get it. Even though I would run back on straight away, I know that the rules are there to keep me safe. Yeah. That's what needs to happen, particularly in sport. Um, and even in, you know, group exercise and things where, where people are educated that the people who run these systems are educated so that everyone's having this conversation about we prioritize health. So if this happens, if periods stop, then support is required. And it's not about putting on loads of weight to get your period back. It's not about stopping training. It's about just adjusting that balance. You know, yeah. these, these things are quite a, um, a delicate balance. And, and someone helping you find that balance 
is super important. So whether it's a GP, whether it's, you know, um, someone working with you on your diet or whether it's a trainer, but we need a system of sport and exercise that, that prioritizes that and, and you're doesn't so let right. the other stuff happen. Mm, you're so right. One of the things that I have an issue with is like st- class studios, for example, that let people do like double or triple classes in a row or, or, you know, in a day. And it's just like, at what point did that become normalized? Like someone's spending two, three hours either at the gym or, you know, and obviously that kind of leads into something that's a slightly more problematic relationship with exercise and with their bodies. But I just think, yeah, there's lots of things that could be done and you're right. It's it's the systems that need to be tackled, not the individuals. Um, yeah, it's so interesting and a huge topic. And actually um, leading on to not missing periods, but I mentioned menopausal women um, and postmenopausal women. Um, I think that this is a really interesting area where women are starting to also wake up to the benefits of exercise um, and how to work with their bodies through that, you know, what can be a really challenging time for a lot of women. Um, Is there anything that you've done in terms of your research that's shown, you know, the role of exercise during the menopause and and kind of the benefits of that? Yeah, so I work with two amazing um, women, Baz and Bella, who, and and menopause is their area, but um, I get to learn off them all the time. So um, it's really nice to be able to talk about it because if we think that women don't understand the menstrual cycle enough, you know, girls going through puberty don't get taught about it. And so we go through our life and, and perhaps if you've had maybe some fertility issues, you might have suddenly thought, actually, what is my cycle doing and, mm. and, and how is it meant to look? So you, but if not, you, you sort of bump, bumble along and then it's no wonder that women get to perimenopause and menopause and, and still don't understand because it's all the same journey. You know, puberty and um, perimenopause and menopause are bookends of, of the, the reproductive, reproductive life phase of women. Okay. And in puberty, it's kind of spluttering to a start. And that's why sometimes cycles are irregular and, and emotions can run very high and, and come crashing down because the hormones are arriving on the scene for the first time. And in teenage girls, that feel that feels big and body shapes change because these hormones arrive. And, and so that happens. And then almost exactly the same happens at the end of our reproductive life phase where the cycle is slowing down but what happens is it come is come spluttering to a to a halt over the course of sometimes many years, and and that's because the brain is like, you know, come on, let's get another egg out, and the the ovaries are like, really, you know, wow. we're, we're kind of done down here, and so the signals kind of can either be really strong, like firmly telling ovaries get the egg out, and so you have like big releases of estrogen that's like mm. because we're trying, and then they can come crashing down. Or not so much of the hormones at all because everything's a bit like, oh yeah, perhaps we are coming to the end. So yeah. you can have very erratic cycles. You can have very erratic levels of hormones that go very high, come crashing down. If your estrogen has been very high, you might have built up lots of, of the lining of the uterus so periods become very heavy. But understanding the relationship of this suddenly makes everything make sense. And I think now women, because of, of the conversation that's come out into the popular media and the press, people are saying, are you, are you telling me this is my, you know, this brain fog, this thought thing that I thought was dementia, this complete lethargy that's left me floored, these, these pains, this joint pain. You, you're telling me that is all hormonal. And in a lot of cases, yeah, it is. So there are women saying, oh, okay, well, you you should have told me that before. But now I know I'd love to do something about it. And like you said, yeah. there are loads of ways in which women are now exploring what they could do about it. And, and, there's no golden bullet so we can't say well exercise will get rid of all your symptoms Mm. and that'll be brilliant it's a combination of what works for you and your body and some people will take hrt and some people will go down alternative routes and it's just about finding what works for you what's really important 
is not is just not sitting back and accepting the situation you know your yeah. body is now low on really brilliant hormones and it's important that we do everything we can to help it and we know that body shape can change significantly throughout perimenopause um we can start to deposit uh, fat around our tummy that was never there before and if you're an active woman who's still moving in the same way she was still eating in the same way she was and suddenly you have a a body shape change that could be really hard to mm. to deal with you actually might get into a situation where you start exercising more and you start eating less and we actually get into a into a worse situation because not only does that lead us down the path we've just we've just spoken about but in in menopausal women who are thinking well you know suddenly my body shape is changing i'm going to do loads of exercise i'm not going to eat as much that raises our cortisol mm. and cortisol makes us hang on to fat you know, so it, we have this sort of cascade of, of things that really don't work in our favor. Yeah. So actually using exercise as a way to create calm, yeah. mental health, uh, as well as physical health is really important. This is a really yeah. busy life stage for women. They're Literally. usually juggling teenagers, caring for elderly parents, holding down big jobs, you know, and trying to deal with changing hormones. Even using exercise as a, an emotional and psychological support is really beneficial yeah and we also know that the you know the physical that the effects of exercise are beneficial for some of the symptoms um we know that you might need more recovery when you're in these years of your life and so accepting that and sort of leaning into it and saying okay if i do quality sessions if i can do quality workouts then i might need a bit extra recovery but it's okay because it means i get the quality yeah. We know that we know that lifting weights and doing strength work is vital in this life stage because estrogen, that amazing hormone, was helping us build bone strength, was helping us build muscle, you know, um, really quality muscle. That goes, and we don't have anything helping us, but what will help us is if we put stress through those muscles and those bones. Mm. And, you know, whilst walking and impact aerobic exercise is great, what really cuts the mustard is is strength work and often in this phase of life even if you've been very active it's very daunting to start thinking about picking Completely. up weights mm. so i think again we need we just need a bit of support actually about educating women in midlife about what what might really suit their body uh, and they're giving them the help to actually do it <laughs> because yeah. um because it's a, it can be a real shift uh, if if even if you've been active to, to do new types of exercise Definitely. And I think that's such great advice. And, um, you know, like I, I am so glad that we're talking about that stage of women's lives more because, um, yeah, I think for a lot of um, women, they have suffered in silence and it is and it's devastating that, that they they have to do that. And, um, yeah, I think that's great advice. And particularly, I love that strength training is so good at that period of their life because yes. um, it's something that I'm really passionate about yes. talking about. Um, now, I'm going to finish up with just a few questions that are a little bit more kind of quick fire, but I thought okay. it'd be a good one to kind of get in. Um, I wanted to ask you, what do you wish all women knew about their bodies or one thing that you wish all women knew about their bodies that they might not necessarily know? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I've really thrown you there. <laughs> I know because it's, it's so, uh, there are so many things as you can imagine, but um, I wish they knew the power of their hormones, yeah. um, you know, and for, for good, uh, because they are amazing. They make us absolutely incredible beings. Yeah. And if you know about them, you could also know about how they can challenge you, but then you could do something about them. So the power of our hormones and how to harness them. Love that. Um, what one change could all women do today that might improve how they perform in an exercise setting? Be kind to yourself. I think 
being kind to yourself and not putting pressure that you have to be the best version of your athletic self on any given day yeah um actually you might you might find that you get more out of yourself when you are showing up and going back to your previous statement quality over quantity is is always my biggest thing when it comes to training um what are the main hurdles that women have to overcome in sport and are they changing that's not very quick fire. <laughs> no, I know. Sorry, that was that actually wasn't that was that wasn't one of my quick fires. But, no, but I can I can say I can say that women's sport is on an exponential rise in terms mm. of women want to participate in sport, w- the visibility of women's sport, and yeah. the the money that's going into women's sport. Let that not make us complacent. It, we are we've still got a long way to go. We've already talked about now. We still value photogenics and aesthetics over mm. function of our body. We still, you know, we still expect women to show up and fit into a system that was designed for men. So let's let's keep keep on keeping on. But but we're definitely seeing a shift. That was a brilliant answer. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to end on a negative. So this is my penultimate one. But what mistake do you think a lot of women might make, particularly in sport? And why do you think they might go down that route? I mean, you might have even just covered it with your previous previous answer. I think women for a long time because they were fighting for equality they thought that equality looked like having the same as men so the same pay um the same media coverage the same facilities the same access to study gyms or whatever recovery suites actually it doesn't look the same women don't need the same as men they need an equal opportunity to fulfill their potential and what it takes for them to do that could look different and that's okay because we don't want to borrow from the men's system we want to create a system that's all our own that was an even more brilliant answer emma you are <laughs> soundbite central here <laughs> my final question is um what do you hope the future holds for women in sport in terms of better support better structures in place um beyond what we've spoken about today i wish for every girl from the moment they can sort of move to it to enjoy their body and to not let their body ever be the thing that holds them back from moving and from creating a lifelong relationship with exercise because we know that by the end of puberty 64% of girls will have dropped out of sport we are losing so many women from a lifelong you know journey of moving and enjoying their body in whatever way they choose to because we're not supporting girls at that life stage so I would wish that that every woman and girl found movement filled them up with joy rather than you know it be a chore or punishment or working against their body to be able to achieve it Um, and I know that that is possible but we just need support and education and a reframing of lots of societal attitudes and that's what you're doing with well HQ so yeah I'm I'm really grateful that um that you're doing that work because I think someone needs to be banging that drum because like you said it's it's so important 64 percent is such a huge number and I feel incredibly privileged to have found a really positive relationship with exercise. I'm really grateful that I get to go and train in a nice gym and all that sort of stuff. But in the back of my mind, I do have that sort of feeling of of sadness that there are so many, particularly women in this country, who don't have access to that sort of stuff. And what can we do to better support them? Um, and I think that you're doing you're doing amazing work. And um, I'm just so grateful that you've given up some time to speak to me today. So thank you so so much, Emma. Um, keep banging that drum. <laughs> keep doing your amazing work. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you do over the next few years. Thank you, Alice. And you keep on. You know, showing the world how to move your body and how to enjoy it because that's that in, in itself is amazing role modeling for, for the girls. Thank you. Thanks. 
you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.